Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to 2 Peter chapter 3. We start a new chapter today, 2 Peter chapter 3 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Jesus is Coming Again. Isn't that great news? Jesus Christ is coming again. We can look up, our redemption draws near, and I've shared this before, but it's worth repeating again. I really do believe we're living in the last days. Now, you can take that statement and you, you, it can motivate you to respond in a lot of different ways, but we are living in the last days. The final days leading up to the imminent, any moment return of Jesus Christ, the rapture of the church, are upon us. And we're seeing things in our generation that we've never seen before. Things surrounding Israel. Technology increasing. Knowledge increasing. Globalism right in front of us. With our eyes, we can see it and experience it. One world systems being set up. And the list can go on and on. We looked at them in depth when we were studying through Daniel. And we taught that series on understanding the time not too long ago. I mean, even from the time we taught Daniel, things have changed and increased. And they're happening so rapidly. And Jesus made it clear in Matthew chapter 24 in verse 36. Listen, he said, Of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Nobody knows the timing of the return of the Lord, the exact time. But there is an expectancy that we know the times and the seasons, the surrounding times. Jesus talked about and he rebuked the religious rulers of the day. He says, you guys, you pay so much attention to the weather. And you can look up and see and generally predict what the weather will be. But you don't understand the spiritual times in which you live. And I think that's true for us here in Colorado, isn't it? We become little personal weather experts, you know, like, like we are meteorologists now. And we can predict the weather and, and even get upset with those trained with predicting the weather when they always get it wrong. Like we would do much better than that. And here we are understanding and interested. I, I, I have to say this. I was never interested in the weather until I moved to Colorado. And it became something super interesting to me. And all the different things and all the different ways that the seasons come and all, all the little words, it became interesting to me. But I do know this, since I was a new believer, I have been interested in the coming of the Lord. I have been interested in meeting my maker, to live expectantly. I have been taught from a very early age as, an un, as a new believer to expectantly live like Jesus could return at any moment. And I think it's God's will for every generation to live that way, to live expectantly. Peter, as he writes here in 2 Peter, right, wants us to make this a priority in our lives and in our minds and in our thinking in these last days. We, we often refer to this as the blessed hope. You can jot it down. I'll read it to you in Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Titus, Paul writes to Titus, he says, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Not only is it a blessed hope, but number two, it's a joy-filled hope. In Isaiah 25, verse 9, it says, And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him, and we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. It's also a purifying hope, number three. In 1 John 3, 3, it says, Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And finally, number four, it's a motivating hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, we studied it earlier. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found a praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a motivation to be seen, to see the Lord. So as we jump into this third chapter, remember Peter is giving us insight on the character and the actions of false teachers in the first two chapters. Now he's dealing with their teachings. And, and these false teachers, we remember, we, they showed up in a time of great vulnerability. The audience that Peter's writing to is struggling. The government's cracking down on them, blaming them for things. It, it's a mess. And they're on the run, struggling and suffering greatly. And the false teachers love to take advantage of vulnerable people. They love to take advantage of hurting people. They, they love to offer answers when there are no answers. They love to twist teachings to, so that they might draw people after themselves. And Peter said, don't have anything to do with that. Now listen, church, for us as a church family, we're going to finish 2 Peter soon and we'll go right into Jude. Same exact topic false teachers. It seems as if the Lord wants us to know right now in these days to watch out for false teachers and false teachings. As we go through the book of Jude, the Lord is leading us to what is important in times of uncertainty. What should be our priorities? What should we be looking out for? And we're going to be surrounded, as we are even now, by mockers, scoffers, and a world that's demonstrating more of an antichrist spirit than ever before. I want to take a moment just to make the distinction for you, if you haven't heard it before, between the antichrist, capital A, a person, the one world ruler that will come at the end of the age, or at the end of the time after the rapture. I mean, I think he'll be alive before the rapture. He'll come in the last seven years of human history and be that one focal point where the world will clamor for a leader, the Antichrist. But I want you to know that there are also an Antichrist spirit or what you could say many Antichrists. Uh, let me show you. Turn over to 1 John chapter 2, would you? you? Hold your place in 2 Peter. We'll get there. But 1 John, it's just to the right, chapter 2 in verse 18. 1 John 2, 18. John is writing in the latter times of his life to a group of believers, and he addresses them in verse 18, little children. <clears throat> this is a term of endearment in the original language. It's a tender word for kids. It's almost like, you know, he's in his 90s. Some suggest perhaps in his hundred, in his, you know, over 100 years old. And he's like, okay, kids, draw near. I have something to share with you. Okay, kiddos, listen, it is the last hour. And you have heard, capital A, that the Antichrist is coming. And notice what he says. Even now, many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. 
many antichrists precede the antichrist. That's why you're seeing a lot of activity that simply is against. That word anti has two meanings. Anti in its traditional definition means against. So you're going to see a lot of teachings, a lot of behavior, a lot of rules, a lot of laws, a lot of people directly against Christ. That shouldn't surprise us. But in the last days, many antichrists, and that was happening in the first century. How much more now, 2,000 years later? Not only will you see an increase in those activities and people against Christ, but secondly, the definition of anti can also be defined in place of. In place of. So you'll see doctrines and teachings that will try to replace the true teachings of Christ. So not only things just coming up right up against the face of Jesus, but also teachings that are undermining the truths of Jesus. Why I've been encouraging us, as we get back to basics as a church, read your Bible every day, church. Read it every day. Don't just read it for five minutes, devos, but I mean, if that's all you got, man, give it to the Lord. But I know you got more than five minutes. Don't read it like legalistically either. Well, you know, pastor told me I had to. No, I'm begging you to read your Bible every day. I'm begging you to open up, especially in the Gospels. Follow Jesus every day. Pay attention to what he says. Pay attention to how he says it. Pay attention to what the atmosphere, who is he addressing? Why is he saying it? I mean, one of the things I've been reading Luke, because we're in Acts, so I went back and just started Luke again, because you learned just this last weekend, uh, the book of Acts is the second part of the gospel of Luke. They go together. So I went back, and I've just been reading again from the beginning with Luke, and as I'm following along with Luke, as he lifts Jesus up as the true man of God, and just listening to him, how he dealt with, once again, how he dealt with the religious leaders, with the hypocrites, He didn't like the hypocrisy that was happening in his name. He didn't like it. And I don't believe he likes it now. Many antichrists. If it was true in John's day, then you can believe it's true and closer now. John firmly believed that he was living in the last days. And I believe it's it's that at every age of Christians are to live continually believing that they are in the last days. Because the last days started truly at the day of Pentecost. As soon as the church was born, the last days began. And we've been in 2,000 plus years of last days. And as Peter, we're now closer than we have ever been. We are closer now than we were an hour ago. <laughs> of, the last, of the coming of the Lord is closer than it's ever, begin, ever been in the history of mankind. And God was very specific throughout his word in wanting us to pass on the urgency of the days in which we live. Living expectantly is required of us. Antichrist, capital A, refers to a person. But there are also these little antichrists. When I say the spirit of antichrist, I mean an atmosphere of antichrist, not a literal false spirit, but an antichrist spirit, an atmosphere. It goes back to the Garden of Eden where introducing lies to human beings to not believe God, to doubt God. And the spirit of Antichrist is behind every false teaching, every false doctrine, everything that's trying to undermine the goodness. And the spirit of Antichrist is in the world today, prepping and preparing the world for the appearance of the Antichrist. 
clamoring for someone to save them from their lawlessness, someone to save them from their confusion. They're always going to look to man. That's why it's false for us as believers to look to man to save us. Only the man Christ Jesus can save and rescue us. The governments of man will not save us. Not even a politician will save us. Now, you realize that, right? <laughs> you realize that. I, 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 I want to convince you, you can't look to man. That is the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist is prepping people to look to a man to save them. A man will not save this world. The return of Jesus Christ will set things in motion for the redemption and the restoration and the rebuilding of a world that's gone far overboard. Just like the days of Noah, the Bible says. These are worse than the days of Noah, man. This is, this is wild. The days in which we live are just wild and out of control. Prepping the world for an antichrist. Prepping us to see Jesus Christ. Do you know the Bible never instructs the church to look for the antichrist? The Bible always instructs the church to look for Jesus Christ. He's the blessed hope. He's the one that we're hoping for. He's our fulfillment. He's going to keep his promises. Let me read to you in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Yes, we're going to be in chapter 3 of Peter very shortly here. But I want to prep you as we jump in so you understand these are the days in which we live. You've got to understand this. In verse 2 or 3 of chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, it says, Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin, another name for the Antichrist, the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, another name for the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. You have both definitions of anti right in these verses. He's both going to oppose, come against, and also present himself as a replacement. Both of them in this section. Now as you read through the Bible, living in the last days is important. We don't, we don't have an escapist mentality. That's caught up with some ages of the church. Like, well, you know, the rapture is going to take place. Let's just run our credit cards up and live recklessly. The Bible never in that never encourages living recklessly, but living righteously. You got to know the difference between recklessly, righteously. L living in holiness or hopelessness. And holiness will always lead you to do the right thing. To invest not a wasteful life, but a life that's invested in that which is eternal. And we believe here at Calvary, if you're brand new to us, first few months, first couple weeks you're here, we believe in the imminent absolute soon at any time return of Jesus Christ. We are looking to him to return and fulfill his promises. That in his first coming, he fulfilled 300 plus predictions and prophecies from the Old Testament. 300 fulfilling exactly how God said it would happen. And I believe that he will fulfill the rest of prophecies and promises in his second coming and the rapture of the church and his return to rule and reign for a thousand years. All right, let's listen to Peter now. With that in mind, we have John. Let's come to Peter now. And then we'll get to Jude in future studies. Verse 1, chapter 3. Beloved. See, a similar introduction as what John said, little children. You have to understand Peter's writing with a tenderness here. 
He's writing with a tenderness about serious matters. And he says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, and he quotes, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So come back to verse 1. He says, Beloved, I'm writing this second letter to you because I want to stir up and remind you. This isn't the first time Peter talked about reminding. He talked about that in verse chapter 1. This is a tool that every good teacher is going to use. Re repetition, 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 where until you know it, you're going to repeat it. And so he said, I want you to forget all the things that I've taught you, all the things that you've learned. And repetition is something that Peter uses a lot, and any good teacher will. So much of Bible study is repetition. That's why many of you just set the Bible aside. I've heard it before. I've heard it before. Why Bible study isn't so palatable to many. Oh, I heard it before. I heard it before. But the thing is, is God always has a fresh word for you. The word of God is not going to change. It is established. The Bible says that it's been delivered once and for all. The faith has been delivered once and for all. We've been admonished not to add or subtract. The Bible's have been given to us. It's not going to change. But God, how he uses it in your life, it's going to change. Because you're going to be at different stages in life. You're going to be at a different place. The application's going to be different wherever you are in life, whatever God's doing in your life, whatever's happening, being beat down by the world. And you, you can't just say, oh, I've heard it before. You haven't heard it before in this way. That's why, you know, when somebody like, well, you know, I read the Bible straight through 20 times. Well, okay. Well, what does that mean exactly? Well, what does that mean? You should go 21 then. 22, 23. In the word continually, because God has a fresh word for you. Even as you come to Bible study and you just, you know, okay, I'll just come to Bible study. No, come expectant. Come ready to receive. Come, uh, come with, a, with an attitude of, Lord, I read the text. Uh, you know, sometimes you even read the text and go, man, I don't know how he's going to get anything out of that text. But the Lord has something for you. I don't know what, you know, when we were studying through Leviticus many years ago, Leviticus, yeah, God, God has a very precise system of worship, a desire for us to worship the right way. Yeah, it's different for us. We're not living under the old covenant anymore, but we need to understand the old covenant in order to understand the new covenant. So Leviticus is super relevant for us. Even as Peter is, repetition, repetition, repetition. And what are, we, what's, what are we reminded the most of in the scriptures? God's faithfulness, his character, his goodness. You need to know more of who he is, how he operates. God reminds us of his holiness and his commandments for us to live a holy and righteous life. Let me just say this. The cradle of every cult and false teaching is rooted in a sinful part of us that's always interested in what's new. Like we always have to have something new. And you know, in a culture like ours, the marketers totally understand this. This is new and it gets our ears new, something new. It's something new. And you know, they don't need to really even make that much. I forget, I read an article not too long ago. Like they don't even have to make that substantive of a change to call something new. I mean, they could change one little ingredient or one little, and then they get your attention new and improved. 
Uh, it's probably not as new as you think it, but now they got your attention. And what do they do with it? This is the same with false teachers. You got to be careful. They, they prey on the same thing, especially those of you that, you know, commercials influence you and you're just like, man, I didn't know. I, I didn't even know that existed. I didn't, now I didn't even know I wanted it. I didn't even know I wanted something that I didn't even know existed. That's what commercials do to you. I didn't even know I wanted it. I didn't even know it existed. Now I'm going to go get it. And here's what the cults do. The cults go, oh, you know, uh, the, the, the gospel has been hidden all these years. And, you know, our founder has a new truth that's been hidden. And we've got the new thing. It's a new thing. It's a new thing of an old thing that was hidden. And, you know, your pastor, he doesn't, he doesn't know about this book or, you know, that church, they don't teach right. But we do. And, and we want to share something new with you. And, you know, when you're in a church for a long time, you're walking with the Lord for a long time, you're kind of plowing along, plodding along for a long time. You get interested in new things. Oh, okay, I'll listen to that. Oh, okay, I'll receive that. When there's really, the Bible says, there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new substantively. There's nothing new that will um, somehow be hidden and now we're the only group that knows this. And just trust us on this. We're the only ones that know this. No, it's not new truth that God will give us. It's a new experience in the old truth. It's not some new truth. That God will give us a new, a new application of how to use something. You know, a new way uh, like, for example, I think of the Bible like a hammer. You know, for those of you in construction, a hammer is pretty important. It's a tool that's been around forever. And yeah, they've made some improvement on hammer. You can do things with air guns and all kinds of things. Like that. But when you got a hammer, you know, there's just some things you need to use the hammer on. But the principle is the same. Get the nail embedded in the wood. That's the same principle. And, and there are the same principles that God is going to use an old tool in your life to get you to the same end. And yeah, there might be a new application, but new truth. No, we live out truths that we already know. This is a word to all you guys listening right now. All you guys listening go, no, we need something new. We need something new. I heard that before. You know, especially when you're in the same church for a while. Oh, I heard that joke before. Oh, it wasn't funny the first time. Oh, okay, now I'll tell you something new God's giving you. You ready? That's your attitude? I'll give you something new God's giving you. You have a critical spirit. Whoa, Ed. Yeah, you have a career. What do you worry about the jokes for? What's the Lord wanting to speak to you? I am always going to tell bad jokes. That's just the way it is. I'm not a comedian. That's just the way it is. And if I share the same joke over and over again, it's always going to be bad. But look what happened. You're so interested in, well, I heard that before. Now it's made you a critic. There's another area of criticism that comes up. That God just wants to reveal it. That's a new truth. You want a new truth? I'll give you a new truth. So, you know, I don't like those songs. I don't like that band. I don't like that. Oh, so there's a new truth for you. Man, you're pretty critical. You're, that's a pretty critical spirit. When you were a new believer, none of that stuff mattered to you. You were just so excited to sing songs you didn't even know. Never heard before. You were excited to lay aside all that old music that did not glorify God. Some of the music actually blasphemed God got rid of it. And I'll sing whatever they sing. Uh, you know, and even some of you never sang before. And then in church, this is the first time you ever sang out loud in front of people. That's how it used to be. But now, oh, now, now it's the song and it's the lyric. And oh, they, they, that, they misspelled a word up there. Yeah, well, then why don't you volunteer and get it right? 
And then when you make a mistake, like we all make mistakes. It's, mistakes are God's tool to humble us. To remind us we're not perfect. You know, you made a genuine, I mean, think about it. You know how shame and guilt come in, you make a mistake, people try to make you feel bad for it. Mistakes are mistakes. They happen. Learn from them. Grow from them. God can use mistakes to strengthen us. But here we are, we've become critics. We, we, and then what does that do? That makes you, well, you know, I want to go look for something new. We, honey, we need something new. We need something new. No. No, it's probably not something new. Obviously, there are times when God will do something fresh and new and maybe move you on. That, that's true for sure. But most of the time, God's just trying to deal with you. He's trying to deal with you and not have you so susceptible to false teaching that you would conform yourself to the you would conform yourself to God's will not forcing God to conform himself to you making a god in your own image let me show you what i mean when it comes to doctrine would you turn over to second timothy chapter 4 second timothy chapter 4 paul's writing again to a pastor about leading the church to young timothy and notice what he says pretty powerful words he says in verse 3 chapter 4, he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of the evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Now, it's easy to take a verse like this and apply it immediately to unbelievers and to think, Paul's telling Timothy, you got to understand, buddy, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to raise up teachers for themselves uh, and they're going to turn their side to fables and such. But a careful reading of this, this is not an application to unbelievers. He is writing about the church. He is writing about you. It's a warning for, Pete, for young Timothy to understand. It's a warning for you tonight. That there's a time that will come where in sound doctrine will not be endured. And when sound doctrine, that steady, constant teaching of the Bible. Just like Paul would say in, in the book of Acts, we'll get there in our study where he said, I'm not shunned to give you the whole counsel of God, the whole Bible. The whole Bible is what we teach here. Teaching sound doctrine, sound teaching is what you could say there. Time will come when they, if you'd like to write in your Bible, circle that word they and just write next to it, church. If you want to really be bold and have a warning in your Bible, put me. There will come a time when maybe I will not endure sound doctrine. And then what will be replaced sound doctrine? I don't want to exegete this text, but you've got to see it. What replaces sound doctrine? Their own desires and itching ears. They want to hear something. They, they have to hear something. And when you have itching ears, this is what you want to hear. Someone that agrees with you. You already have your mind made up. You already have your desires. So you're going to hunt around for someone that agrees with you. And they will turn their ears away from the truth, away from the truth and aside to fables, fairy tales. You could also write next to that word theories. You could write next to that word in the day in which we live, conspiracy theories. They'll be more important to people than the Word of God. It'll be more emphasized than the Word of God. It'll be consume people. 
And then they'll only listen to people that agree with their theories. And you want to come back to the Word of God in times of great difficulty. You want to come back to the Word of God and be careful. Come back to Peter now with this in mind. Notice what Peter says. I want to remind you of the words that were spoken before by the holy prophets. This is the Old Testament. He says, I want to get you back to the Word. He says, in times of difficulty and all these voices, you've got to get back to the Word. And of the commandment of the apostles. So he's, there's already some of the New Testament written by this time. So you've got all of the Old Testament and the New Testament that's been written and codified in the canon already. It wasn't church councils that put the Bible together. The Holy Spirit put the Bible together. Part of the New Testament's already together by the time Peter's writing. It's already been accepted by the early church. So he says, you've got to get back to the Word. Stay close to the Word. Make sure the Word of God is in you and around you. And not only this, in verse 2, I want you to notice that the Old Testament and the New Testament from the Holy Spirit here in Peter is put on equal ground. Equal ground. Because you know how sometimes people will come to you and go, oh, you know, the New Testament is more important than the Old Testament. No. The Bible says all Scripture is inspired of God and profitable. All of it. It's the whole one unit. It's one book made up of 66 separate books. So he says, notice in verse 3, knowing this first, okay, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. Next to scoffers, you could also write mockers or laughers, but you could say making fun of, those that would make fun of you, they scoff. You know, we don't use that word much anymore, but you, you would know a scoffer as someone that likes to make fun of you because of your faith, likes to make fun of you because of what you believe, and precisely that you believe not only in Jesus, but you believe he's going to return. And so they make fun of you, they want to minimize you, they want to make you feel dumb. I don't know how many of you have ever felt dumb, but I have felt dumb, or at least somebody attempted to make me feel dumb for my beliefs. You know, they'll come and they'll just like lay some heavy trip on you, some heavy burden, and you're like, man, I'm not as smart as them, and I kind of feel dumb. I wish I was smart like them. My simple faith in Jesus wasn't enough, and it stumbles you, and that's very normal. In the last days, you're going to see a lot of that. You're going to see that that's going to be the primary message of the world in which you live. I mean, in the, on television today, on on cable, on Netflix, on, on the news, in, on websites, not so much the newspaper anymore, but on websites, on drudgery. It's just like making fun, making fun, making fun, making fun constantly. You probably hear it and read it so much you don't even notice it anymore. But it has a way of wearing you down. It has a way of wearing you down. And in the wrong day, at the wrong moment, you become very susceptible to be- believing a lie. So what does Peter say? Before technology, I mean, it's even worse for us now than it was for them then. But even before technology, he goes, you just got to understand, there's going to be people in the last days, make fun of you, scoff at the things of God, and they're walking according to their own lusts, their own self-centeredness. Remember, lust is a general word. It often is referred to sexual lust, but lust is simply a word that describes self-centeredness where you are willing to satisfy yourself at any cost. It is often often 
used to describe the kind of feeling or the kind of attitude that you might take to someone of the opposite sex and you lust after them and you want them and you desire them in a sexual way just to satisfy yourself and you lust after. But a lot of people lust. They lust after money. They, they lust after power. They lust after position. Lust is a general word. And it's a strong desire to satisfy yourself at any cost. So he says they're, that's how they're living. They want to take advantage of you. They want to undermine your faith. According to 2 Corinthians 3, they have hard hearts attacking the word of God, attacking simple faith. Notice, he says in verse 4, this is what they'll say. Where is the promise of his coming? For the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Scoffers and mockers, they will mock, they will, they, they're imposter, imposters, false prophets, and they'll come, as we'll see in Jude, they'll come, they're sensual, they cause divisions, they don't have the spirit, and they'll say there is no God. You know what the Bible says in Psalm 53.1? It says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So they're foolish. Don't give them any attention. Don't give your ear to them. Don't give your ear to fools. Don't even entertain it. Cut it off. This is really, this section here in verse 4 is the very essence of the humanistic theory of evolution. It's right here. There, that there's no change. That this phrase that, that they continue from the beginning of creation is the very seed of evolution and humanistic. No God. There's no God. If there's no God, then we have to replace him with some theory. And so, man... Darwin, Darwin comes, he becomes very popular, undermining the, the sense that there is a God. And you go, well, well then where did man come from? Well, he, you know, there's all kinds of different theories, right? He oozed up from some slime and then formed an eyeball. That eyeball grew into a monkey and monkey grew into a person. And ultimately, whatever theory, big bang, little bang, whatever theory is popular now, millions of years, billions of years, it's all changing because it's all just a theory. The essence of it is, there is no God. And let me tell you, if there is no God in your life, or you are the God of your own life, little g, then there's no accountability. And you know what people do without accountability? Really bad things. They serve their own lusts. When you have no accountability, then you can define morality. And it's always a moving target. For many, many years, for many years, I would encourage my pastor friends when it came to those borderline behaviors to not refer to the law, the law of the land, you know, the legal system as a way to say, don't do that behavior. For example, when it came to smoking marijuana or taking CBD or any of that, people would ask, well, pastor, should I do that? Should I do that? And I say, no, it's not wise to do that. And I would give them a biblical answer. I would say the Bible tells us that we're to be uh, controlled by the Holy Spirit, not by another substance. The Bible tells us that we're to be sober-minded and we're, we're to be in a place where we can, we can commune with God with a clear head. And so I would strongly encourage, I wouldn't say, oh no, don't, drink, don't smoke pot because it's against the law. And the reason why you don't want to use the legal system is simply this. The laws change. The laws change. Look where we are today. Look where we are and what's being suggested today. 
You, you think of, uh, of abortion, the topic of abortion. The abortion is a slap in the face of God. It's not, a, it's not a matter of law, although it would be nice for it to be against the law. But for the woman considering abortion today, it is not simply a woman's choice. But even though it might be a choice a woman can make, it is a choice of the one that has no voice, the human being in your womb. It's not the law of the land. As much as we would want the law of the land to reflect the morality of God, we understand that those in places of authority... They don't know God. As a matter of fact, not only do they not know God, what do they say? There is no God. And so it becomes a matter of morality. And you go, well, well, you know, I can, well, whose morality? God's morality. God's morality. It goes back to the word. He established what's good for us. What should we take in our bodies, what we shouldn't. How we should treat the unborn. What, what do we do for those who have no voice? We stand up for them. We speak out for them. Don't take advantage of them. That came from God. We need to come back to his word. The mockers, not only that, well then, they'll go right for the heart of every Christian now. They'll, they'll undermine all the time that I spent to encourage you looking for the soon return of the Lord. We all clap. We're all excited. It's encouraging. And then you're going to meet somebody. Some of you, as many people are here tonight, somebody this week is going to meet a scoffer. And they're going to undermine. They're going to make fun of you because you believe in the coming of the Lord. I, it's in a room, this, many people listening to this, there's definitely going to be someone or more than one that will meet a scoffer. And they will do this. They will, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? And it comes in a lot of different ways. We've all heard some form of this. Oh, you believe in Jesus. Oh, he's going to come from the clouds. You know, my grandma used to say, my great-grandma, I used to be in church. And he hasn't come yet. He hasn't come yet. And that's what you need to emphasize. Yeah, that's right. He hasn't come yet. But he's coming. You can bank your life on it. He promised he would return. And while we wait... We wait faithfully serving, loving, and caring, shining the light in a dark world. It's not an escapism. Let me show you some before we go. Would you turn over to Luke chapter 8 here? Or excuse me, Luke chapter 21. And I want to draw your attention to verse 8. Luke chapter 21. We are faced in a very upside down world right now. It is dark and it is scary. The foundations of morality and decency are upended. Even many of the laws of our own land based upon God's word and even those that believed in a form of God. had Many of the founding fathers were Christians. Many of them were deists. And at least they believed in God. They believed that there was a God. And they formed many of the laws based upon the word of God. And, And here they are, all that being undermined. And Jesus taught us not to be deceived, not to be tricked, not to be lied to. And it's not trusting the word of a pastor. You test everything that's said by a pastor by the word of God. You you take the word of God. Even in the New Testament, you're going to learn that when Paul taught something, they tested what Paul said. They didn't take him in his word. They studied the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. And notice here in verse 8 of chapter 21, Jesus says, Take heed that you're not deceived. Take heed that you're not deceived. Because many are going to come in my name saying, I'm he. The time is drawn near. Don't go after them. 
When you hear of wars and commotions, don't be terrified. For these things must come to pass first, but the end's not there immediately. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Great earthquakes in various places, famines, pestilences. There'll be fearful sights, great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they'll lay their hands on you and persecute you and deliver you up to synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and rulers for my namesake. It'll turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. It'll turn out for you. You'll be thrown in prison for your faith. That's an opportunity for testimony. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to lose things for your faith. It's an opportunity for testimony. So settle in your hearts, he says, to meditate beforehand, not to meditate beforehand what you're going to answer. Another word, don't worry. Don't worry. I'll give you a mouth. Verse 15, wisdom for which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Listen to this, verse 16. You'll be betrayed by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they'll send some of you to your death. You'll be hated by all for my namesake, but not a hair of your head shall be lost. And in your patience, possess your souls. In your patience. It's really good, church, as we head out today, and we head out. Some of you are going to go to work. Most of us are going to go to sleep a little bit later tonight. It's good for us to take inventory of our lives, to really assess where we are, to really assess what we believe in, to really examine our faith in light of eternity, in light of the last days, in light of the concerns of our day, in light of what I've been calling the wild and wacky days in which we're living. I texted that out again today. This is just wild. I mean, I've got friends all over the country facing all, all over the world, really. And every time, I'm just like, wow, it's, I don't even know what to say. So that's just wild. That's just, I, I don't even know what to say. Got to keep our eyes on the Lord. I, I mean, may the Lord just crucify that part of us that thinks we have to have an answer for everything. We don't have to have, I don't know. What do you think, Ed? I don't know. Let's pray. <laughs> Let's pray. I don't know. What's God going to do? I don't know. He's coming back, though. There's a lot I don't know. But I'll tell you what I do know. Jesus promised to return. He promised even these teachings he gives to the early church, even to the, I say, look, don't worry about it. It's going to get harder. Don't worry about it. It's going to get harder. I'll be with you. It's going to get harder. You won't even know what to say, but I'll give you words. Not even, not even a hair of your head is going to be lost. <laughs> it's like, even for us that don't have many, we like that. Not a hair of, not, it's not going to be, not going to be lost, but that's not what he means. He means, look, you're going to be taken care of because don't fear man that can kill the body. You have a fear of God. Don't worry about what man can do to you. They have no power or control over you. Don't worry about it. Trust him. I need to make my calling and election sure. I need to affirm my commitment to follow Jesus no matter what. The things of this world are hence of his soon return, church. It has to be a reality in our lives. It must be. The world is a place where no one will be able to save it from the clutches of the evil decisions of man. That's what the Bible says. The world is a place we will not be able to, to take away the clutches of evil in this world. We'll shine the light and dispel the darkness. But remember prior to the flood where every intent of the thoughts of man's heart, the Bible says, was evil continually, Genesis chapter 6? And all that we're facing personally right now, disrupting our lives, taking away our comforts, undoing our routines, 
challenging us with things that are unfair, unjust, and hard. I don't want you to forget that what you're experiencing, your next door neighbor is experiencing. And what you're experiencing, your boss is experiencing. And your coworker. That's what global means. The world is under the sway of the wicked one. The world. It's not unique to just the church. The world is experiencing the sway of the wicked one. But what makes it different for you is you live with eternal hope. And so it makes sense that the events of this world would want to snuff out your hope and not even talk about hope anymore. Not even talk about goodness anymore. Not even talk about the love of Christ anymore. Not even talk about the triumph of hope and love that comes from the return of Christ. That when a man or a woman is born again, immediate love invades that life and invades that home. These are warning shots, gang. What we're seeing in the world today, these are warning shots. These are shots over the bow. The Lord is coming back. These are announcements. Jesus said, look up for your redemption draws near. These are open doors for the gospel like never before. We get to share the love of Christ and give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Like in Peter's day, it happens to be in the bed of suffering. It happens to be in the bed of suffering and persecution and great difficulty that God's going to use as a launching pad for the gospel to go into the world. Things are going to get harder. But stand fast, church. God is faithful. He's reliable. And Jesus Christ is returning soon. Amen? Hmm. So good. So, Father, we pray as we consider this section of your word that we would be men and women dedicated to the overarching truths of love and hope and justice and mercy. That even in our best day, we can't come close to your perfect righteousness, Jesus. So humble us. Even in today as we are talking, you know, all these things are you're humbling us, Lord. You're wanting more humility in our lives, not less. And we pray for your spirit to be among us, to be a ready, prepared people. I pray, Lord, to see Dale here and I know that he's going to be starting up the evangelism class, Lord. Put people, give people a desire to learn how to properly share the gospel. How to have boldness and courage. How not to be afraid. I pray, it's always, it's like prayer meetings, Lord. It seems to be the least attended. And so I just pray a special anointing among those that would have a desire to learn how to share the gospel in these last days. That's it. That, that's the, that's it. I pray that in our church. I pray that those listening on the radio now and in the future. I pray for those watching online. Ignite in our hearts a desire for the lost. Please, get us out of ourselves. We don't want to walk according to our own lusts. We want to walk according to your love. We don't be like those mockers and scoffers. and We want to be confident, trusting in you in the worst of situations. And so if you're here today, or you're watching online or listening, you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to do just that, 
The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the only reason that you would have that is because God has begun to work on you, revealing to you your fallen nature. How you've sinned against a holy and a righteous God. That you're guilty. I know it's hard to hear, but it's the truth. You're guilty before God. And it's heavy, you know, to hear that pronouncement of guilt. But it's not like the world. Like, we're not, you're not guilty so that you might feel bad about yourself. You're guilty so that you might look up and say, you're right. You're right. I was praying with a mom today, talking with a mom today about um, their child that's addicted to drugs. And we prayed about these moments when we just know that their child is by themselves, all alone, and they have that thought. They have that thought that what they're doing is wrong. It's just a brief moment sometimes because they're out partying and out doing stuff and out. But there are those times when they can't do anything. They're not under the influence of anything. They're all by themselves, and they just have that thought. What I'm doing is wrong. I need to go home. And I think that everyone listening to me that's separate from God, that's a similar thought you have. You haven't been able to put your finger on it, but that's it. What I'm doing is wrong. It's time to go home. And God is inviting you as your father to come home. So if you're here today or you're out connected with us and you need to, you want to come home by confessing your sin, would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you that you would make a decision to follow Christ today. God bless you in the back. Who else would say that's me? Today, right now. God working in your life. Wanting to minister to you. Hey, Pastor Byron, can you head over here and lay hands on him? Anyone else? I just think you need to know you're not alone, bro. I want you to know that you're not alone. That we're already standing next to you. Already ready to serve you. Who else would say that's me? Today, right now, in this moment. Life change. It's unbelievable. What God has ahead for you. It's a great day. It's a great day. Listen, near or far, pray with me, all right? This is the part where you can confess with your mouth. You could say, God, I admit that I've sinned against you. And I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me. And I believe Jesus rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I dedicate my life to following him from this day forward. And God, I am asking you to help me turn away from my sinful past and my sinful habits and to follow you. And I pray that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.